This is Josh Smith, pastor of Prince Avenue Baptist Church in Bogart, Georgia. Our mission at Prince is simple, leading people to trust and follow Jesus. And it's our hope that this sermon would help accomplish that mission. For more information about our church, visit us at pabc.org. Amen. Well, take your Bibles, if you would, this morning and turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, as we continue our January series titled Enemies of the Soul. It is my intention in February that we begin an extended study through the book of Hebrews. That's kind of our bread and butter here at Prince. We're usually walking through books of the Bible. But this January, we wanted to address uh, some specific issues that are affecting our souls. Hebrews 13 tells us that the pastor's responsibility is to care for your souls. And I am worried always, but even more so now, about your soul. The most important part of you is the part that is most often neglected, and that's your soul. And in this little cultural moment in which everything around us is talking about all of the chaos around us and everything about our bodies and flesh and how careful we need to be, I want us to give more attention to our souls than we give to anything else. And the reality is, is that the enemy wants to destroy your soul. Even if you look like you're doing well on the outside, there's a battle being waged for your soul. And we have been addressing some specific enemies of your soul. We looked, first of all, at the enemy of pride two weeks ago. Last week, we looked at the enemy of idolatry. And next week, Lord willing, we will address the one that actually caused me to preach this series, the one that has been the heaviest on my heart, that is the enemy of bitterness. But this morning, we dress one more enemy of the soul. It is just as destructive as all the others. It has a tendency to be just as hidden as all the others. But if not taken care of and seen and dealt with, it will, in fact, destroy us from the inside out. It is the enemy of fear. Now, I have a personal history with fear. I was terrified as a child. Now, I don't mean I was just scared of the dark. I don't just mean that I thought there was monsters under my bed waiting to get me. I mean, I was paralyzed with fear in almost all of my childhood. It was really a strange thing, and my parents never could quite figure out where it came from and why it was there. My brothers didn't seem to deal with this, but it's a very big part of my story. And even this week, as I reflected on it, in a way that I haven't in a long time, to be honest with you, I begin to even recognize how much of a part of a story it is for me now, how much of who I am today and the things that matter to me are because of that situation and how the Lord taught me to deal with that and how I overcame some of that. But it's a big part of my story. I was a terrified child. Now, I am glad to report to you today that I no longer sleep with the lights on. I am glad to report that I no longer lay in bed with my eyes open, terrified to close them. And I am really thankful to report that I no longer run as fast as I can and jump into my bed because I'm afraid there's a monster under there that's going to get me. And if I just gave some of you a new fear, I'm sorry, but I no longer do those things. I am really grateful to the grace of God that has allowed me uh, to overcome many of those fears. But I'm also here to tell you that fear is still a really big part of my life. 
that even though those fears have been overcome, there are other fears that are still there. They just seem to be a little bit different. The fears now seem to be a little bit more subtle. They seem to be a little bit more secret. They even seem to be a little bit more sophisticated. And I don't know exactly how it happened, but at some place and at some point, those monsters under my bed became monsters in my soul. Because the enemy is still continually attacking me, and I believe all of us with this enemy of fear. Now, the difficulty of fear is that we tend to think of fear like we do idolatry. We said last week, the challenge of understanding idolatry is when we think about it, we think of a golden calf. When we think about fear, we think about phobias. We think about the fear of of water or the fear of heights, the fear of find spaces, the fear of, of snakes or spiders, or worst of all, the fear of clowns. This is what we tend to think about. Well, the pastor is speaking on fear. What are these paralyzing phobias that I have? But the reality is our enemy, the devil, who is seeking like a roaring lion to devour you and take you down and wants to do so from the inside out, is way too subtle for that. And we as humans are way too complicated for that. The reality is our fears look more like the fear of running out of money, the fear of having some type of disease or illness, the fear of something happening to one of our children, the fear of losing someone we love, or even deeper than that, the fear of living a meaningless life, a life that never really seems to to meet the expectations, that never really accomplishes much, the fear of, of being alone, the fear of being abandoned, the fear of being embarrassed or humiliated or seen, or maybe it's the fear of just never quite being good enough, the fear of a failure, the fear of change, the failure of, of missing out on something, the failure, the fear of, of losing control. Could be the, the fear of being overlooked and never noticed, or maybe even worse, the fear of being actually seen and known for who you are. See, those are the more sophisticated fears that seem to creep into our souls like the monster under our bed And the truth is, the monster under our bed is not much different than the monster under our souls. It is hidden and extremely powerful. The book of Proverbs says the fear of man is like a trap. And it gives us this picture of an animal trap that doesn't kill the animal. It just keeps the animal from moving. And this is really a good picture of fear. Fear may not kill us, but it is going to stop your progress. Fear is going to paralyze you. Fear is going to consume you. Fear is going to control you. Our fears, like an animal trap, can grab a hold of us and keep us from making any progress, from moving, from ever stepping out in faith, from ever doing anything great for the kingdom of God, from ever taking a risk. Why? Because these subtle enemies of the soul that are paralyzing us from moving forward. And the truth is, is sin, a fear is, is really a root sin. What I mean by that is, is like the other two we saw, idolatry and uh, pride, 
it manifests itself in a thousand different ways in our lives. And so many times we, we see something about our lives that we can't stand and we want to fix it, but we fail to fix it because we fail to see that it's really an issue of pride and we have to address the root. Or we see this something we hate about ourselves and we don't ever get it taken care of because we don't see the root of idolatry. And so it is with fear. Some of your nagging insecurities, your constant need for attention and desire to be known or seen, or your lack of ever being known or ever really getting in community, your lack of ever allowing someone inside to know you and to know what's really going on, the stress, the worry, the anxiety, the inability to relax, the need to control everything in your environment, and, and the feeling that you get when you start to lose control. You know, most of our anger is rooted in fear, our sleeplessness, our being overbearing and overprotective maybe as a parent. Do you know that both overworking and laziness are rooted in fear most of the time? If someone is afraid that they're never going to be good enough or they're never going to mount anything, they will either on one hand overwork and sacrifice a thousand other good things to do it or they'll never even try. Could it be that lingering heaviness of depression or that feeling you get when a panic begins to come? All of those are fruit of fear. And that's the reason it's an enemy of the soul. The reason it's an enemy of a soul is because it stops you from making spiritual progress. It's an enemy because it's manifesting itself in ways that are destroying you and destroying your family. And it's impossible when trapped by fear to have the joy and the peace and the love that God wants you to have. And so God invites you into a life of faith in which he says, all I want you to do, the simple request Jesus makes is this, just trust me and follow me. That's it. J just trust that I'm the only way to get to the Father, that you'll never get to heaven without me. Trust that I'm the life. There's no good life without Jesus Christ. Trust that, that I'm the way. And he then says, and if you trust me, then the response to that is follow me, not just to get to heaven, but right now. Follow me right now. Like right now, let's go. And you realize that if you're controlled by fear, you will never be able to simply trust and follow Jesus Christ. There are so many areas of your life that are being affected by this hidden enemy of pride, this monster inside of our soul. Now, when we think about fear, it's best for us to think about fear as really closely related to worry and anxiety. Because really what fear is, is the same thing anxiety is. Fear, listen, here it is, is your legitimate concerns without God in the picture. That's what it is. We're gonna see in a minute how most of our fears are legitimate. God doesn't look at them and say, you idiot, why are you scared of that? God sees where the fear is coming from. He understands it, he feels it, he knows it. It's your legitimate concerns without God in the picture. So think about this. Take your money and remove God. Take your children and remove God. Take your insecurities and remove God. Take your diagnosis and remove God. Take your future and remove God. Take your business and remove God. Take your marriage and remove God. You take God out of any one of those areas, the result will always be fear. Because fear is our godless preoccupation with the things of life.
It's our godless, meaning God is not involved, preoccupation with the things of life. It is living as if God doesn't care, or God doesn't know, or God simply is not able to help you. The question is, how in the world do we deal with these fears that are a constant reality in our lives? How do we see them? How do we know them? How do we understand them? And what do we do with them? And there are literally hundreds of places we could go to answer this question. But I have found in 16 words in Luke chapter 12, maybe the sweetest balm for a soul that is paralyzed with fear. I laid in bed last night and just began to say over and over these 16 words in this one verse. And the more I said them, the more sweeter they became. The more I said them, the more I saw in them. I really believe if you could take these words and get them into your heart and make them something you quote over and over, it is all that we need in order to overcome the fears that are paralyzing us and controlling us. So if you're there in Luke chapter 12, give me a big hearty amen. I'm going to read verses 22 through 34, but the verse for today is the 16 words in verse 32. Here's what it says. Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body and what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. Think about the ravens. He says, they neither sow nor reap. They don't have storehouses or barns, and yet God feeds them. Oh, how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is there, will your heart be also. Now look back at those precious words in verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now, the significance of those words in our lives related to the area of fear is that this verse does two things for us. On one hand, it shows us why fear is such a constant issue for us and always will be. It shows us exactly why we're so afraid. And on the other hand, it shows us why we don't have to be any longer. It shows us something about ourselves and it shows us something about God. 
So let's walk through these words together. What does this tell us about ourselves, helping us to understand why we have this constant temptation towards fear? Well, look at those first two words, fear not. It is, as you may know, the most repeated command in Scripture. And the reason it is the most repeated command in Scripture is because it is the most common problem of mankind. That this is the battle of all battles. And if you don't think it's a battle, it is certainly a battle. It may be more hidden than you think. You may not even see it. But the reason God continues over and over to say, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear, is because there will never be a moment in our lives in which this is not, in some way or another, an issue. That we might, like I did, conquer one fear and then find that there's just another one to come along. There is always something else to be afraid of. There is always a new fear that can creep into our souls. And the amazing thing is, as you read through scripture and you see all the great heroes of the faith, you'll notice that all of them, with an exception of Jesus Christ himself, battled and struggled with fear. You think about Abraham. I mean, this is a guy that the Lord said to him, I want you to leave everything, your home, your family, everything, and I want you to go, but I'm not gonna tell you where you're going, and he does it. And the first place he goes, the first thing he does is lie about his wife because he's not afraid of leaving home, but he is afraid of losing his wife. And he does it again and again and again, and his son does the same thing. You think about Moses. You think about this incredible man of faith and all he did, and you think of God going to him and giving him this invitation. Moses, I want to make you a great leader. Moses, I want to take you and use you to be the people who lead my people out of Egypt, across the sea, into the promised land, and he's terrified and doesn't want to do it. God, I don't want, I don't want to speak. I don't want to lead. They're not going to like me. They're not going to listen to me. Even after he overcomes this fear of speaking, because God provides Aaron to speak, he says, God, they're not going to listen to me. They're not going to care about me. There's all of these insecurities that arise that we didn't even know were there until God asked him to do something which is one of the ways this works. You don't even know that's there until God asks you to do something and all of a sudden you realize there's this fear you didn't realize. Think about Elijah who called down fire from heaven and consumed the altar, slaughtered all these prophets of Baal, one of the greatest moments in the Old Testament. And the next day he runs for his life, hides under a tree and prays that God would kill him because he got a threat from Queen Jezebel. So he's not afraid of the prophets of Baal. He's not afraid to stand and call down fire from heaven. But for some reason, he's afraid of an evil queen. Think about how often the disciples were plagued with fear. Think about how often Peter, who said to Jesus, wherever you go, I'll go. If you go to the cross, I'll go. I'm gonna die with you. And then a little girl, ask him who he is. He denies Jesus and runs away. Meaning it's possible to be incredibly bold in one area and terrified in another one that no one else sees. I think about Joshua, one of my heroes of the faith. I love Joshua. He led the people to take hold of everything that God had for them. And he's known as being strong and courageous. No one fought more battles than Joshua did. His life was literally one battle after the next. But the consistent refrain from the Lord to Joshua was this. Don't be afraid. And you know the reason the Lord kept telling Joshua that? is because the Lord saw ahead and knew what was coming for Joshua and he knew that there was gonna be a lot of things to be afraid of. 
He knew that there was going to be an army bigger than him, a nation bigger than him, a wall he couldn't take down. What God knew is this. He looked ahead at Joshua's life and he knew that at every moment in his life, there was going to be something to be terrified about. And that really is the issue. The issue is that there's always something in our life to be afraid of. I can't stand when somebody says, well, well, what's there to be afraid of? To which we say, tons of stuff. Like, I, I can think of all kinds of things to be afraid of. What I want you to see is some of these fears that you have are there because life is actually scary. It's scary to think about being diagnosed with the same illness as a loved one was. It's scary to think about losing a child. It's scary thinking about ending your life and not having any money or not accomplishing all that you thought was going to. It's scary to think about being abandoned or failing. These are real things. And so we don't just say, don't be afraid. We say that fear is a very real part of our life and some of these are real legitimate fears. And the reason we have such a temptation to this is because the next two words, look at them in verse 32, Little flock, little flock, I find these words incredibly precious because in the midst of all of our confidence and all of our boldness and all of the things we've overcome and all of the businesses we've built and all of the things we've done great, at the end of the day, God still looks at us and says, you are still a vulnerable, weak, hurting, afraid sheep. Remember, I've talked to you about this before, how I always think of myself as a lion, like I collect lions and I want to be a lion. And God says, well, that's great, but you're a sheep. Like, I want to be a lion, right? I want to be an eagle and I want to soar above the rest, you know? And God says, that's great, praise God, but you're a sheep. And so in your ambition to be a lion, don't forget, you're actually the one lions eat. It is important to have a right estimation of yourself. And sheep are notoriously skittish. They're notoriously fearful that any little thing can throw them into mass confusion. And listen, if you're honest, isn't that funny about how we live? We can be doing great. One little thing pops up, our hearts are in mass confusion. All of a sudden, we're incredibly anxious and worried and fearful. And it, five minutes ago, we were all doing great. We were just kind of walking along and grazing and doing our thing. One thing pops up and we're terrified. You know why? Because you're a sheep. The Lord says, fear not, little flock. But by calling us little flock, he shows that we are prone to be fearful. And even apart from that, so we've got the enemy who wants to constantly bring fear in the world around us. We, we, we also have our own propensity towards fear. And then we have the world that preys on your fear. So as I, as I was writing this, literally at this moment when I was thinking through this message, I decided just as a test to pick up my phone and pull up my news app. And just see if there was anything there new to be scared of. There was a bunch of stuff I'd never thought of. Like I wasn't even afraid of that. And then I saw it and I thought, oh my word, I should be afraid of that. Like the news exists to make you afraid. It doesn't, doesn't exist to make you feel better. It preys upon your fear. And by the way, the more you look at it, the scarier you're going to be. Because instead of feeding your faith, you're feeding your fear. There's a thousand things to be afraid of. And the reason we constantly have a temptation for this is because we are a little flock. And then God, listen to me, knowing your own propensity because you're a sheep, 
The battle for your soul from the devil and the battle from the world looks at you with all of those fears, those deep insecurities and hurts and fears, and here's his solution. Fear not. To which we say, well, that doesn't sound super helpful. I mean, that's it. In two words, he just says, listen, I know, but, but fear not. But the truth is, is those two words tell us not only about ourselves, but about him. So the truth about us is we're sheep and we're always going to be fearful. There's always going to be things to make us feel this way. But this also tells us something about the Lord. You see, it all comes down to the tone of voice he uses when he says, fear not. What is he really saying? Is he, is he giving us a command? Meaning, is he looking at you and saying, stop being afraid. Come on. You're 46 years old. There's no monsters under your bed. Get over it. We've been dealing with the same one for five years. Just stop being afraid. Is he, is he doing what I am often tempted to do with my children? I have five children, which means thousands of times I've heard the words, I'm scared. Usually it's when I'm in bed and I'm tired and I've gotten home from work and I feel like I've done good. I've engaged with the kids. We've done well. We've had a good day, but I'm done and I'm ready to be, scared. I'm ready to be, to be asleep. And I hear over the balcony, hey, anybody up? I'm scared. To which I want to respond, well, stop being scared. That's what I want, that's what I want to say. Well, just quit because I'm, go I'm going to bed and I don't want to come up there and check the closet and under the bed. It's fine. Just stop it. We're done with this. We talked about this last night. Just be done. Is that, is that what the Lord's saying? Is he saying, I, we've done this all day. I wanted you to go to sleep. I need like a five-hour break from you. <laughs> like, I'm, ex I'm exhausted here, man. Like, you're killing me all day. So just stop. But I want to say to you, this doesn't come to us in the spirit of a command as much as it comes to us in the spirit, listen, of a comfort. There's a difference. He's not saying stop being afraid. What he's saying is this. Hey, hey, hey. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to feel that way any longer. You don't have to be paralyzed by that any longer. That doesn't have to control you any longer. He's saying you do not have to be afraid. And the reality is, is that hopefully when I'm filled with the spirit, what I'm saying to my children at night is this, is that listen, you don't have to be afraid First of all, we trust the Lord, and so let's pray and ask him to help us. Second of all, we live in a safe neighborhood. Third, the doors are locked. Fourth, dad has guns. And fifth, I'm insulted that you would be afraid when you look at my physical presence. <laughs> like every time they tell me they're afraid, I think, seriously? Like, do you know my mama married me? So what I... So what I what I should be saying is this, listen, listen, listen. I'm not telling you to stop. I'm just comforting you by saying, you really don't have to be afraid right now. It's not necessary. This is what the Lord says. He says, you don't have to be afraid. And the reason we don't have to be afraid is found for us in the beauty of one little word. Look, we're just walking through it. Fear not, little children. This is what happens when you meditate on scripture. The next word is for, for. 
Okay, Lord, I don't have to be afraid. Well, why don't I have to be afraid? And he doesn't point us just to his abilities. Because I'm strong. Because I'm great. Listen to what he does. Listen. He points us to his heart. He says, the reason you don't have to be afraid is because of who I am and how I feel about you. We have this incredible internship program here for college students. And uh, one of our interns uh, asked if he could meet with me. And so we met on Monday and he asked me a lot of really good thought provoking questions. And one of the things he said to me is, uh, what would you say to college students my age, just as they're pursuing the Lord, what should they focus on? And I said to him something that's relatively new to me, and it was this. Don't just get to know the commands of God and don't just get to know the word of God. Try to know the heart of God. (laughs) Like come to that incredible realization that when you sin, God doesn't pull away from you because his heart beats for sinners. He draws near to you. That changes everything. And that's just, that's just knowing the heart of God. And, and we, as Baptist preachers, have done a great job to tell you the word and the command, but we have failed to draw you in to love God because you know his heart. And so you know what happens right here? You don't have to be afraid, little flock. You're always going to be, but you don't have to be because of my heart. And then he says this, because I have the heart of a good shepherd I have a heart of a good father and I have the heart of a good king. It's all right there, look. He says, I have the heart of a, of a good shepherd. The fact that he calls us little flock is meaning that we are his flock and he is our shepherd. Which means that when we come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, because in John 10 it says Jesus is the good shepherd. And he says that he invites us to come into him, to come to himself. And when we do, we are his flock. And at that point, he makes a commitment to us to shepherd us all the way until he takes us safely home. He says, goodness and mercy is going to follow you all the days of your life. And you'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He says, I've made a commitment to you. You've chosen to follow me. I'm going to shepherd you. Why? Because you're a sheep. And if you don't get shepherded, you're going to get devoured. So I, I have come... As the roaring lion who was a lamb, but is now a lion, and I'm going to protect you. And I'm going to watch over you, and I'm going to lead you through this life, because I'm a shepherd. And, And Jesus says in John 10, the thief, the enemy, you know what he wants for you? He wants to steal from you, take all of your joy and all of your peace. He wants to kill you, and he wants to destroy you. But Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and I've come to give you life and life abundantly. And you can't experience that if you're controlled by fear. So he says... Know the heart of the shepherd. I've come to say to you, everything you need in this life, I'm going to provide for you. I know you better than you know yourself. And the moment in which that fear arises and you start to scatter just like a sheep does, I'm there and I've got it and you don't have to be afraid. Now, Some of you might remember that when we first began last year to have worship only online, I had been preaching through the gospel of Luke and that was my plan for the year, but the mind of a man plans his way and the Lord directs his steps. And so I needed something different. I began to pray and I thought, you know, I'm going to spend a couple of weeks in Psalm 23. I spent 14 weeks in Psalm 23. I'd never preached it before in that way. But here's the reason I did is because every time I came to a new phrase, I was more overwhelmed with the kind of care and rest and love and grace and protection that God has for us. You cannot comprehend the depth 
of moment-by-moment daily care and protection he gives you as his shepherd. When you start to wander, he's got a staff to bring you back. When you get terrified, he's got a club to beat off the enemies. There is nothing you need that the shepherd doesn't have. And he says this, I'm your shepherd because you're my flock. He says, hey, little flock, hey, little flock. I got it, I got it. I go before you and behind you, I watch you, I'm a good shepherd. He then takes it to the next level and he says, I'm also a good father for it is your father's good pleasure. It is your father's good pleasure. Meaning that he is concerned for us with the heart of a good father. Let me, let me just remind you again the distinction between knowing commands and knowing the heart. I told you this last week. That the first command of the Ten Commandments is that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. God is a jealous God. He wants your affection. So our immediate thought is, well, God's given us a command. No other gods before him. But do you know that part of that command really comes with a voice of concern? Because God the Father knows that when you wander off from him and love something else, you're just wandering into your own misery. And so in the same way, my heart beats for my children And there's nothing that would hurt me more than seeing them make a decision to walk in a wrong path because I know where it ends because I'm wiser than they are. So it is God calls you to full allegiance to him because he sees the other path. He knows where it leads. And out of his heart, he's just begging you to stay with him because it's better. You see, that's the heart. And in the same way, the father of the prodigal son's heart broke when the son left and then it was rejoicing when the son came home is the exact way God feels about you. He loves you with so much depth. He is so committed to you. He so much wants your good. He knows the right way. And so his commands beat out of a heart of love and protection because the good father so longs for you to know all of his goodness. It says it is your father's good pleasure. I need you to listen very carefully right now. This is extremely important. Listen. Most of our fears come out of a very difficult place. Meaning, you were abandoned. You were bullied. You were hurt. You were betrayed. You watched someone deteriorate with a difficult illness. You lost a child. That comes out of a real situation. Now what I need you to hear is this. God does not look at you and tell you your fears are ridiculous and get over them. He looks at you and says, I know. I know, I saw it. I was there. I saw the hurt. I know the pain. I saw the betrayal. I was there. I see it. And what God says is this. I not only see it, I feel it. Like I feel it like a father feels when his son is hurt and betrayed. He is looking at you and saying, I'm a good father. I know all of those things. They're real, they're legitimate, they're painful, they're strong. And he says, I know. As a good father, I, I, just, I just want you to know you don't have to be scared of that anymore. He's a good shepherd, he's a good father, and he is a good king. It is the father's good pleasure to give you the Well, kingdom, no one can give the kingdom, but the king. And so on top of the fact that you have this shepherd who's before you and behind you and with you and assuring your protection, you have this heart of a father who loves you, who just happens to be the sovereign king of the universe. And it's not just that he's king, it's that he's the kind of king that knows everything. And nothing happens in his kingdom, 
not just without his awareness, but without his approval. And so someone might say to you, well, come on, why are you afraid? There's nothing to be afraid of, to which you say there's a thousand things to be afraid of. God knows there's a thousand things to be afraid of. And what he says is this, the reason you don't have to be afraid of them is because none of them will ever touch you without going through me first. And remember, I'm a good father and a good shepherd. So I have purpose in all that I'm doing. I have a reason in everything I'm doing. Trust my heart. You've got to trust my heart. He's a good king. And so when we think about the fear that is in our heart and how vulnerable and fearful and nervous we are as a little flock, then we look to the heart of Jesus and then we look at this beautiful little phrase right here. Look at it. It's the father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, meaning this. The great delight of the heart of God, the great joy of the heart of God is to give you himself and everything you need. What is the greatest delight for a father? To give his children everything they need. Like, this is the, such the fun thing about when you transition at Christmas to, to, to not getting stuff, but to giving stuff to your children and seeing them open and just the delight and joy in your heart. So it is, you need to know this. The father takes incredible delight in giving you himself and in himself is everything. And someday, listen, he's going to give you the whole kingdom. It's all going to be yours. But he's got to prepare you for it. And he's got to take you through this life and build your faith. And that's exactly what he's doing with all of these fears. He's cultivating your faith because as your faith grows, you get more of the kingdom. You get more of his love and grace and peace. And that's what he wants. His heart beats for you to get the kingdom. And when we understand it that way, it helps us to understand, listen, this, that the opposite of fear is not fearlessness. The opposite of fear is, is faith. God's goal is not really to make you fearless, it's to make you faithful. Meaning, when you have a fear arise, the way you deal with it is not ignore it or diminish it or say it's no big deal because it is a big deal. You don't battle fear by making fear look smaller. You battle fear by making God look bigger. You stop and you say, that's a legitimate fear. And it's really scary. And if I let my mind go into my imaginary future, it even gets more scary. But I'm going to stop right now and remind myself of the heart of God and how he feels about me. And I'm going to battle that fear with my faith in the heart of God. It is as if at every one of those moments, listen to what God says in that voice of comfort. He says, don't you know how I feel about you? Don't you know the commitment I've made to you? Don't you know that I have promised you on my own name and I've never broken a promise that I will ensure that you make it to the end safely? Don't you know me? And as we begin to see the heart of God in that way, it draws us to himself. Now listen, one of the things I worry about at times is that, that preachers have a tendency to make things so complicated. And let me, let me make this extremely simple for you right now. The only thing God wants from you is to simply make a decision to trust and follow him. That's it. What that means is this, is you recognize that you're a sheep and he's inviting you to trust his death and burial and resurrection as the means to come to know him. And listen, unless you have a relationship with Jesus, you can't know the good father, you can't know the good shepherd, and you can't know the good king. Jesus is the way you get there. So what Jesus says is this, if you will come to me, and if you will trust me, then I will take you and introduce you to the good father. And you will get the fullness of everything that is his, and only those who know him 
know that. One of the things we were talking about after the first service, I had two people come to me and said, you know what I'm starting to realize is that there's a lot of people in the church that have trusted God with their future. They just don't trust him with today. Like they trust him with heaven. But the reason Jesus' simple invitation was follow me is because what it meant is do you trust me enough right now to let the dead bury their dead, to leave father and mother? Do you trust me enough to right now come with me? Like not, do you, can you just do your own thing and trust I'm gonna get you to heaven? Right now, do you trust my heart enough to say, here I am, I surrender myself fully to you. And some of you who know all the facts about the Lord for the very first time need to make a simple decision to actually choose to follow Jesus. Really, today, to trust him. Some of you have known the story for years but you have never really said, God, I trust you with today. Here's everything I've got. I surrender everything to you. You know, when, when my mom was helping me battle uh, through these fears as a kid, she taught me Psalm 56.3, and I still know it in the King James. What time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. I don't know how many times I've said that verse. As a child, I would lay in my bed at night and I would just say, what time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. What time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. What time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. And I would say it until I went to sleep. Thousands of times I said that verse. But the beauty of that verse is that it begins with the realization that you're gonna have times when you're afraid. And the solution is not to ignore it, acknowledge it. You have very legitimate hurts and pains that have caused some very legitimate fears. Don't ignore it. What you have to do is this. Look it in the eye and call it what it is and fight it with the heart of Jesus Christ. What time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. So I acknowledge my fear. I preach to it with the heart of Jesus. And I let the heart of Jesus become bigger than my fear. And in that, not only do you diminish the fear, you increase your faith and your opportunity to know God more. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to this sermon. May you trust and follow Jesus more and lead others to do the same. For more information, visit us at pabc.org.